in, in looking at Parshat Zachor, I was bothered immediately by something, which is, what is it we're supposed to remember? What, what, are, what, are, what is it that we're commanded to remember that we do this Shabbat? Why we do it the Shabbat before Purim is a whole other story, although we're going to connect it. But what is it we're supposed to remember? What's the mitzvah? Do you remember what? What? What Amalek did. What Amalek did, right. Good. So you'll notice that we actually don't do that. In other words, we, we fulfill the mitzvah of remembering by saying there's a mitzvah to remember. Let's take a look at it. These are the three psukim we're going to be, be reading this Shabbat. Some people will read four. <laughs> Which is what? Remember what Amalek did to you? So he encountered you on the way and attacked you from the back and all the weak guys. You were tired and hungry, hungry and tired. Who's lawyer Elohim? We're going to see about that, but not fearing God. And then the last pasuk is So essentially when God gives you respite from your enemies, and as you settle in the land, then, I'm not going to say it twice. You're going to wipe out Amalek's memory, right? Everywhere. Now, what, what have we just said? What have, if we're supposed to remember what Amalek did, there's not a whole lot of information here about what Amalek did. There's attitudinal information, there's strategic information, but there's not fa- factual information. If you want to remember what Amalek did, there's a much better place to go, which is right here. The story of Amalek, here it is. Right? And then Moshe tells Yoshua to go to battle, I'm going to the mountain, right? And Moshe raises his hands, etc. And then we hear that Yoshua actually attacks them and defeats them and sends them packing. And that's the story of Amalek. In other words, we're told to remember what Amalek did, and the way to fulfill it is more by talking about how we feel about Amalek than about what they actually did, which, if you think about it, is a little bit strange. So I identified that in question three here. And again, Jason, I will never stop thanking you for the questions. All right. Um, And really, question two. I want to go back to a more elemental question, which is the inherent paradox of Mechiyat Zechra Malek. What does the Torah command us here to do? Zachor et asher You must remember what Amalek did. Okay? And then, what's at the last line? When you come into the land, what are you supposed to do? Timcha et Zechra Malek. Wipe out the, mem- the memory of Amalek. Well, where there's a play here on word memory. So to remember what Amalek did and wipe out the memory of Amalek. But think about the internal problem, inherent problem in that. So I, I marked it as the Haman double strike through problem. Right? Haman is um, is the name that we love to boo. And why are we booing Haman? What, what's the justification for in the middle of a public reading making a bunch of noise? Go ahead, everybody. What are we doing? What? It's part of the Mechias Amalek. Right, we'll wipe him out. There was a, a minig in the 14th century, I think, 15th century, to write the name Haman on your shoe. And what his name was said, to stomp your shoe on the ground. So you're wiping him out. You're wiping him out. <laughs> Problem is, 
that there's also an obligation to read the Megillah or to hear the Megillah, meaning being read, read along with it, and hear every word. So we end up with this bizarre thing where Haman's name is the one we want to blot out, and we read Haman's name twice almost every time. Okay, I better read it again because people didn't hear it. A lot of noise. So Haman's name is the one that gets repeated unlike anything else. Nobody yells for Mordechai, so we just say it once. But it's essentially that that, that technical problem, which is almost like we smile at the problem, is, is, um, is the problem really, the, the, the much deeper problem of the paradox of you're supposed to wipe out Amalek and never forget Amalek. Well, if you wipe them out, then you're going to forget them. To wipe out the memory means there's nothing left. No statue you can point to that say there's an Amaleki and no dog that you can point to that say that we used to be owned by an Amaleki and that house, of the, it's all wiped out, which means there's nothing to remember. And when the Torah is given and Moshe gives us the mitzvah, which makes it into every collection of the mitzvot, there's no Rishon who considers that not to be a mitzvah doraita. That means it's a mitzvah forever. So if it's a mitzvah forever, then how are we supposed to wipe them out? That means we're de- destroying the object of a mitzvah, as it were. Kind of a strange way to look at a malek. But it's a, it's a problem. And, and kind, of, kind of put it all together and say, what is it we're supposed to actually be remembering? So I want to take a page um, for, from something that my son, Rabbi Yossi, said this past Shabbat. We were having dinner with... Uh, at the home of a uh, dear friend, the head of the Bible department at Bar-Ilan, Professor Jonathan Grossman. And Yossi asked a question. He said, what is it we're supposed to be doing at the Seder? Right? Now, you wonder, how do we get from Amalek to Mitzrayim? And how do we get from Purim to Pesach? So you could say that it's just by way of analogy, but I'm going to draw it a little closer. This year, <clears throat> we missed Purim. Quorum was about three weeks ago. And we didn't do anything. We skipped Tachanun. Right? Well, what's the halacha when there's two Adars? When do we celebrate Quorum? Second. Second. What, when should we celebrate it? What's the rule with mitzvot? Whenever you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, do you grab it right away? Ain't mavir ala mitzvot. Right? And, and in a particularly pregnant Pesach mode, on the Pasuk, Ushmartem etam matzot, the drusha is ushvartemetam mitzvot. And the, dr- the added drusha is mitzvah haba'aliyadcha al tachmitzena. A play on chametz. Lachmitz means to delay. So a mitzvah that comes to you, you don't delay. So here we have the opportunity to fulfill Purim on the first Adar, and we put it off to the second Adar. And so the Gemara in Nidgilah in the first parak goes through the Diyunim, why we would accept Rabbi Gamliel's position, which is to do it in the second Adar, versus Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi, says Dafka, the first Adar. And the final concluding argument that supports the second Adar is, Mismach Geula Geula Adifle. That it's better to have the two Geulot juxtaposed, the Geula Purim, the Geula Pesach. Now, by the way, that has a, a practical component to it, which should not be ignored, which is most people throughout the generations were not that expert in issues of the calendar. And if you tell somebody that uh, tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah, they know how to count, okay, the Yom Kippur is 11 days from today. It's very easy. And it's always the 10th of Tishrei. That makes it easy. Pesach is the most critical season of the year. 
preparing your kitchen, getting rid of chametz, preparing all the matzot in the house. Pesach is without a question the most critical time of the year. When is Pesach? So the answer is always that it's four weeks after Purim, or put it different this way, when you get up from Su'udat Purim, four weeks from that night, exactly at that time, you're going to do your Badikat Chametz. It's very simple. This coming Thursday, a week from tomorrow, we're going to be having Su'udat Purim on Thursday. Thursday night, we're going to bench and Dav Mariv, and exactly four weeks to the moment of that time, we're going to do Badikat Chametz. It's very easy to remember. If Purim were on the first Adar, then every, every few years you'd have to tell people, well, it's different, and it confuse people. So there's a practical component to Mismach Gula, Legulat at Purim, be closer to Pesach, so there's always the same amount of time between them. By the way, Adar Sheni, the Adar before Nisan, is always 29 days, so it makes it simple. But there must there, there is, I believe, an ideational component to it, which is much more powerful than that which is that Purim actually takes its clues from Pesach. And I'll give you one quick example. Um, what are the things that we do on Purim? How do we celebrate Purim? What are all the things that we do? Throw it out. Go ahead, everybody just pop in. Tell Megillah, me. Megillah. Right, we read the Megillah. So you tell the story. Good, what else? Mishlach we send gifts as they did then. Go ahead. We give charity as we did then. Keep going. The, the feast, as they did then. Keep going. Now, go around that to things that are more ancillary, but are common customs on porn. Getting drunk. Mishteh, <laughs> um, good. As they did then. Okay, I'll throw one out. The, oh, playing I, games. Playing games like the lottery stuff. Some people do that. Okay, that I don't know. That That's a minute more in Hanukkah. Yeah. Okay. Is one common custom, you all know, but you're not coming on to it. Passing up. Costumes. Yeah, costumes. Where do costumes come from? So look in the Megillah. You've got a guy who's dressed like a king, can't make a decision. You got a guy who's dressed like the king's royal advisor, he's a traitor. You got a guy who's dressed in five different wardrobes and nobody can figure out, does he work for the king? Is he the king's prime minister? Is he the king's advisor? Is the king the guy who can't save the king's life? Then you got a girl who's passing for a Persian, turns out she's a Jew. And then you've got the central character in the Megillah who's hiding behind all the curtains and you can't see him unless you open them all up and you see HaKadosh Baruch there. The entire story is a story in costume. So we wear costumes. I'll give you one last piece. The year of the event, the 12th year of the king, what happened on the 13th of Adar? The 13th of Adar was the day of all the fighting. So people were fighting. What about Jews who couldn't fight? People, Jews who were too young, who were too old, whatever, couldn't fight. What did they do? Fasting. So they fast. That's what you do. Add it back to our story with Amalek. When Amalek went to war, Moshe Aaron Nechur went to the top of the mountain, and the Gemara says, Tanit Sibur needs at least three people. Meaning, Moshe Aaron Nechur fasting, because of course, Jews are at war. If you can't fight, you fast. So what were the Jews doing that year on 13th of Adar? They're fasting. What do we do today? We fast on 13th of Adar. So what do we do on Purim? We imitate the behavior of what went on there. We imitate what we're going to see. And we take that from Pesach. When the Jews decided to create a holiday called Purim, they did it based on a model in the Torah called Pesach. What does the Torah command us to do on Pesach? Basically two things. Tell it and relive it. That's it. Two things. 
Hagada, Sipur, Zechira, and eating matzah and eating maror and leaning and drinking. All the things were reenacting components of the soul of, of the Siat Mitzrayim. So we took the same thing for Purim. All right, so Mismach Gula Legula, putting Purim to Pesach, isn't just a convenient calendar device to make remembering on Pesach is easier. That helps. There's also something much more fundamental about the nature of the celebration of Purim, which, uh, which demands that they be as close to each other as possible. And there's other Mamare Chazal that associate Purim with Pesach in that way. Pesach is Tchilat Anisim, Purim Esther is Sof Anisim, etc. So now, to come back to the issue of Zechira, I want to now come to Pesach because I think Pesach is the model. And this is something that, 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 my, that, that my son, Rabbi Yossi, pointed out on, on Shabbat. He says, what is it that we actually do at the Seder? And I had this question a long time ago. I never had a satisfactory answer until he said it this Friday night. What is it that, that we should be doing if, if a Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim, what should be our text? If, the, if what we're supposed to do at the Seder is Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim, what should be our focal text at the Seder? Anybody? To, to read Shmot. That's right. We should start from Shmot Parakalif, maybe Breshit Membab, and go Shmot Aleph through Shmot uh, Yudbet. That's what we should do. We don't do anything like that. We don't read anything from Shmot. Everything from Shmot is used as a reference from the key text, which is in Dvarim. Pretty weird. Now, the interesting thing is that we have the same word here that we have in our parsha of Zachor, Tashar, Salah, here in Source 5. Right as we're leaving Mitzrayim, remember this day. And how are we supposed to do it? So take a look in the Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us the following two things. We darshan Arami Oved Avi, which is here in Source 7. We all know it very well. Four psukim that describe the descent and the exodus. Four components. We're going to look at them in a minute. And in the next Mishnah, Magamliel says, Kol Shalom Marshal Shadvarim Elo, Pesach Lesenechumato, Pesach Matzam Rorim. All right, you have to say them, you have to explain them, uh, which Chobayi not, you'll say lots of stuff. But notice that we're not told to read Sefer Shmot. Instead, we're told to explain the symbols and to read Aramio Veravi. So let's take a look at what Aramio Veravi is, and we're going we're to circle back to Zachor. Here's our Amiyo Veravi, and basically in a nutshell, it's four psukim, each of which you could summarize with one word. The first pasuk is galut. Galut. Yaakov went down, and he was a ger with a small group, and he became a big nation in exile. Second pasuk, vayareo tano mitzrim vayanunu vayinu aleinu avodak kasha, avdut. Galut, avdut. It rhymes, you can make a, a, a rap out of it. We called out to God. God saw our affliction. In other words, tefillah. And the last one is We're going to come back to these. Of course, when we get close to Pesach, God took us out. So essentially, Galut, Abdut, Tefillah, Geulah. That's a great song. Make a nice little sample. Right? That's what we do at the Seder. So we don't, by the way, there's no details of the story. You notice we say very generic things, very broad things. They dealt badly with us. They don't talk about here, about throwing the kids in the water. That's the Pasuk and Shmot that we reference from here. 
We don't talk about the specific makot. We say, in general, God took us out with a strong arm, and then we say, oh, yad chazakah, shtayim, zoran tiyah, shtayim, etc. We come, esam, esam makot, and, but none of it's explicit in what we, what we tell. Now, parenthetically, and I just, I go down to this parenthetically, we also mention the Brit Ben Abitarim, or the first two psukim of the Brit Ben Abitarim, in the Seder. Remember, Baruch Shomer Avtachatol Yisrael Baruch Hu, Shakurish Baruchu, Mikhashevita Kates, Kamasha Marla Vamavinu, Kamasha Marla Vamavinu, Barbudan Tarim, or La Sotik Mashal Avramvinu, Vayomer Avram Yadoa Tedaki Geriazar Havert Solahem. God said to Avram, You should know your kids are going to be foreigners in a strange land. They'll be worked for a long time, and I will judge the nation that enslaves them, and they'll leave with great wealth. Those are the two Psukim quote in the Seder. Now, please look at them here. Each one of the each half of the each one of these psukim, half psukim, lines up with one of the lines of of Armia Veravi. Armia Veravi is all about being strangers in a foreign land. That's the promise. You're going to be strangers in a foreign land. Then they're going to work you very hard. That's it. They work very hard. Then we're going to we cry out to God. Yeah, I will judge them. And then then do you come out with uh, God took you out? No, you leave with great wealth. It's exactly matched. Okay, that's just the side thing. But notice that what we're doing at the Seder is we are not commemorating, we're not telling the story. You know what we're doing? We're recreating the remembering. We're recreating the remembering. What are we doing? What is our core text? Our core text is not shmot. Our core text is taken from a reading that the Mevipi Kurim does in the summer when he comes to the Mikdash with his basket of figs or dates, and he declares a, a, hit, a story. And we then remember that story. In other words, we become the next link in an eternal chain of storytellers. And what we're forging is not, the first link is not the, is not the event, it's the story. That's what we're connecting to. We're connecting to the original story. We're eating matzah, not like the people in the houses of Mitzrayim, but like the first generation that ate matzah to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And everything that we're doing at the Seder is to commemorate the remembering. Because we are not as concerned with the details of the event as opposed to the message of the event. And the message of the event is what the Torah commands us to do as part of our recreation. That's what we have to pass on. So it's not so vital for us whether or not the arov was mixed animals or mixed bugs, or they were this tall or that tall. It's far more critical what the message of the arov was, and that's what we're portraying, that's what we're passing further. To the Jews sitting in Mitzrayim, it was very real, and the details were part of their lives. That's not our concern. Whatever archaeology can unearth, whatever Egyptology can unearth, that's all icing on the cake. But the real thing is, what is the message we're supposed to take from it, and how do we how do we pass that further? We're remembering the remembering. And that's what we're doing at the Seder. So now, take a look at Purim, you're going to see something wild. When is Purim? What's the date of Purim? Don't be shy, go ahead. What's the date of Purim? 15th. Well, now in Ramat Beit Shemesh Dalit, it's also on the 15th. I don't know if you heard that. But in time, it's on the 15th. Where is it for most of us? When is it? 14th. 
Fourteenth of Adar. When should when should Purim be? Purim should be on the thirteenth. What happened on the thirteenth that year? There was street fighting everywhere in the empire, and the Jews won in a landslide. That's when we should celebrate. Think about this. We have a, a, a Yom Tov in our generation called Yom Yerushalayim. When is Yom Yerushalayim? Chav Chet B'Iyar. Why is it on Chav Chet B'Iyar? Because that's the day that Harabait B'Yadenu. That's the day that, we, that Baruch Hashem we won and Yerushalayim came under Jewish sovereignty and Israeli flag. So we celebrate on the anniversary of the victory. So why isn't Purim on the 13th? So watch the Megillah brilliantly and with one letter tells us. At the very end, near the end of the Megillah, Esther and Mordechai send out royal documents saying the, the imperial documents saying the Jews have to celebrate Purim. They have to celebrate the 14th and the 15th. Now let's just do a little chronology. The year of the event, what happened on the 13th of Adar? All H-E double matchsticks broke loose in the kingdom. Jews fighting with their enemies all over the place. And almost in, in, in almost the entire kingdom, everywhere but Shushan, by the end of the 13th, by the time the dust had settled, the Jews were fine, their enemies were vanquished, all is good. Shushan, they needed another day. So what did the Jews everywhere in the empire do on the 14th of that year? They did a two-word thing called party. That's what they did. Big party, because they just defeated their enemies. What did the Jews in Shushan do? They got a permission to fight another day. They fought two days. And on the 15th, they had party. Okay. What did the Jews on their own decide to do in subsequent years? To celebrate the 14th, not the 13th. And how did they celebrate it? Exactly as it was celebrated that first year, party. Sharing foods to make sure that everybody's involved in the same party. Exactly a replica of the first celebration. Not a replica of the battle, but a replica of the celebration. What are they celebrating? We're celebrating the celebration. We're reliving the celebration. And we do it on the 14th, just like the celebration the first year was the 14th. In Shushan, they celebrated the 15th. We do it on the 15th. So in other words, what is it that we're actually remembering? We're not remembering the event. We're remembering our response to the event. Now let's go back to Zachor. What is it the Torah is actually telling us to remember? So let's go back before that to the conundrum of wiping out a malek and still remembering a malek. When we talk about Amalek, we mean two things. We mean a particular genealogical group, descendants of, 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 of Esau's grandson, Amalek. And that particular group, when they behave a certain way, <clears throat> to wipe them out. And then there's another whole piece that we're all familiar with. Anybody who's read Koldo de Fake is certainly familiar with it. And that is based on the Rambam, that Amalek as an ideology. There is a group called Amalek that had a particular poisonous attitude that was reflected in their attack on us. And we're going to see it right here in Parsha Zachor. And we don't see it in the Parsha in Beshalach. That's why we don't read that. We see their attitude here. So two things happen. First of all, we're obligated to wipe them out. Second of all, we're obligated to keep our eyes open for other groups that share that same ideology. Don't forget. 
wipe out their memory and don't forget the future Amalekim will come along. And I'm not going to go through the list because unfortunately it's way too long. But you know that the Rav maintained that if you attend a Yom HaShoah commemoration, you're fulfilling the mitzvah Daoraita of remembering Masay Amalek. And the Rambam says here, and I'll show it to you in a second. So now take a look at Zachor. What is it we're commanded to remember? Zachor et asher asalach Amalek v'derech v'zedchem Mitzrayim. Asher karcham baderech. They just encountered you on the way. They attacked the weak. In the meantime, you're tired and beaten. You're weary, and they're attacking you. We're going to have to see what means. That's what we have to remember. It's not so much the nation that we're supposed to remember. It's the attitude we're supposed to remember, and that's what we have to be on guard against. Take a look here about about Atayefiagea. Very powerful statement in the Sifri. Just the way you behave, that's what came back to you. You were weary and you didn't fear God. They're interpreting in the relationship to God. You were bored, you were tired, you were not energetic in your relationship with God, and you didn't fear God. So who attacked you? A nation that doesn't fear God. What a powerful message. This is what we have to remember. The mitzvah of Zachor is to keep our eyes open for the future Amalekim, who are not descendants of genealogical descendants of Amalek, but they're ideological descendants of Amalek. And take a look here at the Rambam, and you can see it clearly. Well, I'm with this Rambam. The Rambam in Hechot Malachim, in Perak Dalad says, uh, Perak says, Mitzvat Lacharim Shiva Amamin. Famous Rambam. There's a mitzvah from the Torah to destroy the seven nations. If you let him live, you violate a lotase. And then he says three words that are critical. Their memory is lost. Meaning, I cannot identify a girgashi to save my life. I don't know what chivi is. I don't have any neighbors who are chitim. They don't exist anymore. Why don't they exist anymore? Because in the 8th century BCE, when Sanchiriv, this is a Mishnah Yadaim, when Sanchiriv came to Tosefta in Yadaim, when Sanchiriv came through the Middle East and used the strategy of population transfer, the emperor of Assyria, everybody got messed up together and the whole Middle East is a bunch of mutts. Nobody's got their paper. And as a result of that, there are no nations anymore. So you can't say this is an Ammoni and this is a Moavi and this is a Mitzri and this is an Edomi. They're all just mishmash. And then the next halachai says, V'chei mitzvat there's also mitzvah to wipe out the, the, the memory of Amalek. Right? Listen this. It's a mitzvah to always remember their bad deeds and their ambushing. And in another Nusach of the Rambam, it's evato, their enmity. Don't forget it. So you should be aware and you should wake up your own enmity towards them. The Rambam here is pointing to the conundrum. You're supposed to wipe out their memory, and you're supposed to never forget their attitude. And then he says, You are not allowed to forget their hatred and their enmity. This is maybe addressed to those who would like to see the world in ideal terms and saying everybody really, if they were given the right context and the right Financial situation, everything else would all be peace-loving. Reality is there are people or not. 
If 9-11 didn't prove it, we have other things, unfortunately. There are people out there who are bad. And we have to keep our eyes open. And we're not allowed to close our eyes to it. We have to be aware of it. But notice that the Rambam is dealing with this problem of saying, on the one hand, you're supposed to wipe them out. And the other hand, you never forget what kind of people they are because there are other people like that coming around. Notice that Rambam does not add the caveat here, that their memory is lost. Because Amalek is not only about the genealogical group, but also and chiefly about the ideological group. Matter of fact, it seems pretty clear from Tanakh that the actual genealogical group was never targeted for attack unless they themselves acted like their ancestors did. Take a look at Shmuel Aleph Tedbab, look at Pasuk Yodchet and Pasuk Lamedal, you'll see what I mean. Uh, but in any case, <clears throat> now looking back, this is, I believe, the answer of what we're supposed to remember. Just like on Pesach, we're commanded to remember the messages of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the messages of the Makot, the messages of Kriyat Yamsuf, etc., much more than the specific details. It's not so much the story of the events, but the story of the remembering that we're supposed to remember and pass on. In the same way, on with Amalek, and just like with Purim, we're supposed to celebrate the celebration. With Amalek, we're supposed to remember what it is we're told to remember about them. We're supposed to remember what kind of people they are. Not the specific event, but the attitude they brought to the table to always be on, uh, on, on alert and on guard when we see that attitude raising its ugly head again to, to not close our eyes to it. And that is indeed what Parshat Zachor uh, seems to be about.